You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is my conversation with a fella called Jake Burns. He's in a band called Stiff Little Fingers. The reason for the conversation was to promote the band's then-upcoming tour of Australia, which occurred in February of 2018. Let's go. I like to call it, I think on, on one of many calls that you probably fielded today already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you are. It's uh, this is actually my second run at it as well. So it's like I did one a couple of weeks ago where I, you know, I locked myself away in my my little recording studio at home and 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 and, and chat to you folks all afternoon. Uh, no, it's it's well apart apart from the damn phone problems, it's been fine. You know, people are very nice. Oh, wonderful, mate. Well, we are looking forward to you coming down, mate, for your Australian tour. What uh, what sort of show are you going to put on when you come down? Well, it, 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 we kind of feel a bit a, a bit charlatan-like in so much as we're advertising it as the 40th anniversary tour because the 40th anniversary is actually this year. But I reckon you know we can get away with it by stretching it to <laughs> February next year. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, basically what we try to do and what we've done uh, with every show this year is to try and cover as much of, of the career as you can in, in like an hour and a half or whatever as you get on stage. So, you know, that's not always that easy to do. Again, you know... Uh, with sort of a career of that length, um, uh, you know, you sort of look back at the to, to try and put together a set list. It's it's more a case of what you leave out than what you put in. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. Um, we, we've kind of got there's like there's, there's there's almost like six or seven songs. You think well, if we don't play those, they'll lynch us. So we got to play those. Um, and then there's okay. Well, then there's the highlights from the, the, this record and that record and this record. And, that. and before you know it, you're sort of left with, well, wouldn't it be nice to play a couple of new songs? And then you sort of we all look blankly at each other and go, where? Where are you going to put them in? You know, because, you know, <laughs> to put them in, you're going to have to drop something. Um, but you know, I always feel that, particularly with something like an anniversary show, that although it is obviously, it's a bit more of a nostalgic thing than than the majority of, of shows that we would do. Um, you know, it is a celebration. That's that's kind of the, the the thinking behind it but I, I always think it's, it, it's a good idea to throw at least a couple of you know brand new things in particularly since we're we're hoping to to be in a position where we can you know make another album that's by the back end of next year um just you know just to prove to people that yeah okay we've been doing it for 40 years but we are still looking forward you know um rather than you know because otherwise it's too easy to it's too easy to slide into the, the sort of cabaret here here's another one of my favorites i hope it's one of yours kind of a bollocks that people do you know, so try, try not to do that you know yeah i just watched paul mccartney the other night actually and i wouldn't even say that he did it somehow he found time and in, in his bloody enormous catalog of work to um play about three or four new numbers yeah but that's that's impressive <laughs> that's really yeah. impressive you know i mean i'm i'm moaning about the little thing is that the man was in the beatles for god's sake you know <laughs> and that's that's literally the only reason i wanted to go and see him i can't say i'm enamored with his solo career i just wanted to say i'd seen a beetle Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, there's probably nothing wrong in that. <laughs> uh, so, mate, you you are well. The band is ten studio albums into your career. That's spread over forty years. What is it that keeps you inspired and going? Yeah. Um. Well, basically, I mean, you know, the, the, I've said this a, mi- a million times. It's like you know, I've, I've never been able to write "I Love Her," "She Loves Me," and "I'm All Choked Up" songs. It just they don't come readily to me. It's like I I tend to write. I, I write songs when something annoys me or something upsets me. Um, and, you know, that's sadly, the, the, the state of the world is such that even after 40 years, there's, there's barely a day goes by without, you know, something on, on either on the television news or something I see in the street just doesn't make me you know, think, 
oh really that's that's that sort of crap is still being pulled these days really um so you know it's it, it really i don't have to look much further than like i said the evening news to find things to write about and um you know particularly with the uh with the clown circus that's run, I mean, I live in America now, and the clown circus is running this place oh, really? and, okay. yeah. and causing problems pretty much everywhere. You know, it's, it, it, it's not difficult to find things to write about. You know? in, fact, yeah. in fact, if anything, as I, I pointed out to somebody somebody earlier, it's like, it's not so much the finding things to write about. It's a bit like being presented with the biggest all-you-can-eat buffet in the world and not knowing where to start. That's kind yeah. of the problem now. You know, it's kind of, yeah. yeah. So, mate, you, you were a punk band when it was probably dangerous to be one during the height of the Troubles in, in Belfast. How much of an influence were the Troubles over the band in terms of lyrical inspiration? Well, again, you know, if you if you go back to sort of the old, the old maxim about writing, which is write about what you know, um, then they were very influenced. We were very much a product of our environment. And, and you know, if, if we were going to write about our lives... That was our lives, you know. That was, it was what was happening around us, and uh, you know, and that kind of made it a bit ridiculous when people would sort of accuse us of cashing in with troubles. It was like, how the hell can we cash in on? You know, what are we supposed to write about? A rainy Sunday in Manchester? I've never been to Manchester at that point in my life, you know. So, you know, we were we were writing about what we knew, and uh, so you know, it was. It was it, it was inescapable, really, you know. And it it, it, it obviously it, it fashioned who we were as people and who we became as people, I think. And, you know, not just us, but I think everybody who lived through it, you know, for, for better or worse, it's, you know, you, you know, the whole nature versus nurture argument, that you are, you are fashioned to a larger, or lesser degree by what goes on around you as you're growing up. And uh, that's what was going on around us when we were growing up. This might sound like an obvious question, but keep in mind, I'm, I've never been to Belfast. Um, how much has it changed in the, in the last sort of 35 odd years or so? Uh, it, it, beyond all recognition, to be honest with you, um, it's you know it's it's very much party time now. You know, again, when we you know when we first left uh, Northern Ireland, like 1970, go across to England, um, you know, people were the, 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 you know, the very thought of going to to Belfast was you, you may as well have said you know, sort of, well, would you like to go to Beirut? Or you know, you know just weren't going to do it. You know, it's just crazy. Um, and now it's where people go for bachelorette parties and stuff. You know, it's 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 very much party time. There's, um, and you know, I think that you know that's great. I'm, I'm I'm sure the folk that live there are kind of sick to death of you know stag parties and bachelorette parties turning up all the time. But but you know the fact that you know the the, the folk that live there and have come through all of that actually now get to live what the rest of us just take as a normal life is is fantastic and phenomenal and I, you know, they've really embraced it you know that's i think that's why it's got a reputation of party time you know i, I remember at the time you know saying to people saying when people say to me so you know what what are northern irish people really like and i said well and this is going back to 77 70 years well you know we are genuinely among the friendliest people in the world we just kill each other you know it's like we've <laughs> got one flaw you know it's like um, we're very friendly with everybody else just we don't get along with each other you know and luckily that seems to be uh that seems to have gone on the back burner now which is great you yeah know. that is indeed hey um different question for you bruce foxton the outstanding bass player that was in the jam was actually in stiff little fingers mm. uh for over 15 years so how would you summarize his contribution yeah. to the band's legacy Bruce was, a, I mean, a, was and is a, a phenomenal player. I mean, we'd known each other um, basically through ourselves in the jam, you know, playing the same festivals throughout Europe and stuff, and we'd become pals over the years. 
So, you know, when Ali left in uh, whatever it was, 87, 88, um, you know, Bruce was kind of the first first and only person I, I phoned up, really. Um, and uh, luckily, he wasn't doing much at the time. So, you know, he stepped in and, you know, he stayed with us, like you said, for like 15 years. Um, the, the thing that Bruce initially brought that, that, that we didn't have with Ali is Bruce is, a, as you, you well know, a phenomenal harmony singer as well as a great bass player. Um, so suddenly we were able to to expand and, and, and play like the three-part harmony on stage, which, you know, again, for a punk rock band, it was like, I, I don't think our audience even noticed us slipping it in. You know, we started, we started, we started to, you know, so hang on a minute, they're actually singing. They haven't done that before. What are they doing? You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, he brought a lot. He also brought a huge amount of enthusiasm and stuff, you know, which is, which is great. And, and obviously, you know, the experience that he'd had, with uh, with the jam was again sort of you know, priceless because you know it wasn't like we were bringing some guy who'd you know only been playing in the back room of pubs or whatever and suddenly saying okay well we're we're flying to Japan next week and uh, you know watch this guy freak out Bruce was like yeah okay cool I've been there <laughs> so you know um, but yeah I mean the main thing he brought initially was like I said he he brought he he brought an extra couple of colours to the to the palette that we hadn't had before in terms of the harmony singing. Terms of the uh, actual enthusiasm, and you know, again, uh, that's not denigrating Ali because again, when Bruce decided he'd had enough of, and it was mainly the touring schedule that he didn't, you know, he, he didn't want to do as much as we were doing. Um, uh, and, and again, we were hugely lucky to get Ali back in again, who by that stage had had a, a, a while away from playing, and so he came back re-energized again. So it's like you know, uh, the, the swapping of bass players <laughs> one for the other. Um, has on both occasions managed to re-energize the rest of us, which is you know no bad thing, no bad thing. So you seem to have a habit of working with excellent bass players because I think you worked with JJ Bunnell in the Nefarious Fat Cat. So what was it like working with JJ? Well, I worked with JJ. It was actually an acoustic act. I worked with JJ, the, the Three Men in Black thing. The, the Fat Cats is a it's a local uh, charitable thing that we just do once a year. In fact, we literally just did it two days ago. Um, that we just do once a year here in Chicago. Um, yeah, JJ, I mean, when JJ, when I worked with him, he wasn't actually playing bass, he was playing uh, acoustic guitar. But again, I've known, I've known JJ since, geez, 1979 or so, I think. Um, I, I stood in for Hugh for a couple of, just like a couple of songs on a couple of shows when uh, Hugh was having a, a holiday at Her, Her Majesty's expense. And uh, I, I, I stepped in for that and uh, so that's, I've known them known JJ for a long long time and yeah I mean he's again a, a, an unbelievably good bass player and really really nice guy I mean for all you know people tend to uh, focus on well you know he's a karate black belt and he can be really violent he said, maybe he was violent back in the day I've never seen him be violent he's always been really nice with me so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate that's it um, I want to congratulate you on a wonderful career to date and uh, mate we are looking forward to seeing you when you come down here with the show you have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my discussion with Jake Burns, one of the members of the band Stiff Little Fingers. Thanks so much for listening.